0: You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. And so we're in this series called Speak. Life, how to redeem and revive the holidays. And, and as, as we can tell, it's, it's, you know, it's fall and just a little weather warning it might get in the 60s today. So be careful, bundle up. Um, and uh, so it's this idea. And, and for some of us, we get so excited about the holidays and, and everything that goes with it. And then some of us there's a little bit of anxiety, some, sometimes maybe a lot more than a little bit anxiety because we know the, the holidays means we're gonna spend time with somebody or maybe we don't spend time because of the conflict. And so what we wanna do is we wanna talk about how God can redeem and revive the holidays. And, and one of the major ways that we do that is by speaking life. We, we understand that some of the biggest scars that you and I carry are based off of the words that we have heard. The words that somebody has spoken to us are the the scars that we carry today. And so what we want to do is is look in how can we speak life. And that's what this whole series is about. As a matter of fact, uh, kind of the whole series can be summed up in this one phrase. If you want to change your world, you have to change your words. If you want to change your world, you have to change your words. There's a, a phrase many of us know called abracadabra. And I don't know if you know this, I I found this out, abracadabra is the number one word universally around the world that is recognized no matter what language they speak. Abracadabra is the number one word that falls in that category. This is what abracadabra means, this ancient word. It means as I speak, I shall create. And what it's saying is, is my words actually create worlds. As I speak, I create. And we know this is true on the receiving end because we've been encouraged or hurt by words, but we forget it's true on the giving end, right? Like we recognize it when somebody says something, but we forget about it when, somebody, when we receive it. Mark Batterson says this, nothing opens doors like please, nothing mends fences like sorry, and nothing builds bridges like thanks, Mark Batterson's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he wrote a book, came out earlier this year, called Please, Sorry, Thanks. And it's one of the ways that I got the inspiration and the idea of kind of where we're going. And so I want to give him a lot of credit and props for that as well. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to go, please, sorry, thanks. But today's going to be more of an introduction. Today's going to just look at the power of our words. And to kind of illustrate that, I want, to, um, I want you to imagine that this is your bank account, okay? And some of you are like, well, that's accurate. It's empty and, okay? Don't have to imagine too difficult, Pastor. Okay, that's great. I want you to imagine that this is your your checking account. And every single relationship that you and I have is a bank account. I don't know if you know this or not. Every relationship you have is an account. And every single relationship, we are making deposits, and withdrawals. Every single one. And, and this is kind of how I want to illustrate it today. Okay? So every time, uh, and, and when we make deposits and the withdrawals, one of the things that we need to understand is withdrawals happen naturally, don't they? Like, we don't wake up and go, I have to focus on making a withdrawal. I, I just wake up and I eventually, I'm going to disappoint somebody. I just, I will. Eventually, I'm going to hurt somebody. I don't mean to, but they kind of happen naturally. We have to actually do intentionally make deposits. And so what we need to do is we need to in intentionally give an encouraging word to, to a friend. And when we do, we make a deposit. When we show up early, instead of running late and stressed to something important, we're, na- we're making a deposit in that situation. When we randomly do an act of kindness for a friend or a neighbor without them expecting it, we're, we're making a deposit. When we show up in someone's life when they least expect it to give generously in their time of need, we're making a deposit. You see, what we need to do is we need to continually, intentionally, consistently make deposits because withdrawals happen naturally. I don't try to be late to an important meeting, but I I just am late to a birthday or to a game or whatever it is. And when I'm late, I, I make a withdrawal. I hurt that relationship. Or I say something. I don't mean to say something offensive, but I just do. And when I say something offensive and I hurt somebody, I'm I'm making a withdrawal or I disappoint somebody because I didn't meet their expectations. Whatever it was, I disappointed them. I take a withdrawal or my wife asked me to feed the kids while she's gone for a week and I forget and I call it fasting. (laughs) And so I just take a withdrawal. These are not personal examples. These are just random examples, okay? (laughs) You see, what I don't think we realize is that when we keep making withdrawals, and there's nothing in the account, that's when the relationship is bankrupt. And when the relationship is bankrupt and you still keep making withdrawals, just like at the bank, you can't do that without a penalty. You can't relationally keep making withdrawals without there being a penalty. That's where dysfunction and toxicity in relationships comes from, because we're making withdrawals and we've not made a deposit. We're focused on deposits, we're just waiting for them to make one in the relationship. Well, if they would just do this. Well, listen, we have the God of the universe. Maybe we can make the first step, okay? We don't need to wait for the other person. Let us make the deposit. Just keep depositing no matter how many withdrawals they make. I'm not gonna stop depositing because I care about this relationship so much. And can I just tell you, married couples, we cannot rely on the deposits from 10 years ago to, to, to maintain us today. Every day in our marriages, we gotta make deposits, So I heard someone once say, hey, I love you and I'll let you know when that changes. That doesn't work. Like that's not how this works, right? And so my prayer is in this season that we'd learn to make more and more deposits because I want to see your relationships flourish. And we know that withdrawals happen naturally. James in the In the Bible, the book of James chapter three, we're gonna turn there. If you have your Bible, the church Bible, you can turn to page 1044. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the uh, seat in front of you, Lake County, underneath your seat. You can have that Bible as a gift from us to you. You can take that home. But there's a book in the Bible called James. We're in James chapter three. And this is what James three says, verse three. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets so the whole course of one's life on fire and it is its, it, and is itself set on fire By hell. Keep going in verse 10. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. So, what James is saying here, he's saying there's three illustrations. There's a small bit in a horse's mouth can make the horse do and go wherever they want. A rudder can steer an entire ship. A, a whole forest can be set on fire by a small spark. The one I resonate a little bit with is, is the horse and the bit. You see, several years ago, I went horseback riding with my family. And we went horseback riding. I thought this was going to be a great opportunity, great time to have a good time with my family. And I was hanging out talking to Cammy, And this is Cammy. And as I was hanging out talking to Cammy, what I didn't know is my family, the rest of my family, they were talking to the owner, okay? And they were all getting settled and kind of getting the down low of everything that's going on and getting everybody paired up with a horse. And this is what the owner told my wife, which I did not hear or know at the time. This is what the owner said. I'm not sure who should ride Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke is wild and unpredictable. It needs an experienced rider that can handle such a horse. Do you have anyone in your party that would be okay with this horse? It was at that point that I heard my wife call my name. She said, hey, Dustin, we have your horse ready. (laughs) Now, what you need to understand at this point in my life and this point in my marriage is two things. One, I was not an experienced rider, as was the owner was recommending. And two, at that time, I trusted my wife. Okay. (laughs) Those two things took place. And so they introduced me. And as I get on the horse, as I get on Gunsmoke, I see everybody looking at me and snickering. I know something's up. It, people I don't even know are staring at me. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, what's up? So I asked the youngest child, she'll tell me anything. I said, Darby, what's going on? She's, and then she's like, okay, uh, you're probably going to die. Okay. That's basically <laughs> what's going to happen. And so I had this one-on-one conversation with Gunsmoke. I was like, Hey, listen, my man and everything. We had a good talk. As you could see, we, we figured it out. Okay. So that's me, <laughs> me and Gunsmoke. We, we had a great time. Okay. And I knew we would have a great time because I don't know a lot about horses, but I know a lot about the Bible. James 3.3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. You see, James isn't talking about how to steer a horse. He's talking about how to tame the tongue. And that's what he's trying to get at. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. So I really want to walk through three different things about the tongue today. One, I want to talk about the dangers of the tongue. Two, the power of the tongue. And then three, how to use the tongue for good. So the dangers of the tongue. James earlier, uh, we were in chapter three earlier, but before that, James chapter one, he says this, James 1 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Listen to that. Like think about that. That is a powerful statement. I don't know about you, I've met people that tell me how much they love God. Even some of their actions, they'll go to church or they'll do this. They'll say they love God, but I listen to how they speak to people. And it's full of shame. It's full of guilt. It's ne- full of negativity. It's, it's verbal abuse. And what James is saying is, no, 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 no. You can't have it both ways. Your, your religion is worthless. Those are some strong words. And, and I'll run into some people like, hey, just I know my mouth. That's just kind of my thing. And it's almost like this, it's okay. No, 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 no. It, it isn't just your thing. God calls us to redeem anything and everything. I mean, we think about the Apostle Paul. He used his tongue to curse Christians. God got a hold of him, and then he became a church planter. We are called to redeem and revive everything in us to not just speak death, but to speak life. That's what we're called to do. Literally, Paul, uh, James goes on and says that the words we speak, are from hell. I can't think of any, anything worse than to think about that. You're like, what are you talking about? This is what he said in James 3, 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Like, that's, this is strong language. Like, what, what Scripture is telling us, what God's saying is, man, you, we need to understand there's power behind our words. The word hell in this, in this text, it's Jehenna. And what Jehenna is, is just outside of Jerusalem, it's this place where they would burn trash 24 seven. It was just this burning, horrible thing. And it ended up getting this horrible reputation because in some of their low points of their history is where they would sacrifice kids. They'd just throw them in the fire. And it's saying, this is where our tongues originate when we speak that negativity. It's, it's worthless, our, our faith. It's worth a, Romans 3, Paul goes on to double down on this. Romans 3, 13 and 14 It says, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. He's describing the, the horrors of the tongue. These are the dangers of the tongue. And ben, Benjamin Franklin, he throws a thought into this too. He says, a slip of the foot you may soon recover but a slip of the tongue you may never get over you see the the hard reality is our words don't have an expiration date and some of you know that because you remember a hurtful word or a phrase from 10 or 20 years ago the good news is our words don't have an expiration date so if we can learn to actually speak positively we'll never forget them some of you have been inspired and remember positive words from 10 20 years ago that is that is the power of the tongue i think this is why james in 119 says this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry that's the danger of the tongue i want to go to the next part the power of the tongue now if i were to tell you hey you're powerful Many of you are like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not powerful. And, and this is what I want you to know. You, you, seriously, you're powerful. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm powerful. Yeah. Can I just tell you, Lake County, I don't know how it went down there. Nobody in Apopka is buying it. <laughs> I'm powerful. <laughs> this, y'all have the weakest power I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm powerful. Hey, let me tell you, can I tell you something? I I think I know a secret why we don't want to say we're powerful. It's the same reason we don't want to admit we're rich. Can I tell you why? Seriously, we don't want to tell ourselves we're powerful or rich because both of them come with responsibility. If you think you're powerful, now you have a responsibility to manage the power God's given you. And we we would rather say, I'm not powerful I don't have money, whatever it is, to avoid the responsibility that God has entrusted to you. But listen to me. I promise you, more than anything, you are powerful beyond your imagination. One, the God of the universe, if you are a Christian, the God of the universe lives inside you. The most powerful being our planet has ever seen is in you. Don't be whispering, I'm powerful. (laughs) Don't be whispering that. The second thing is to, to prove that you're powerful. You could right now go to somebody or call somebody and say something that would destroy them. Just whatever it is, you could say something that would crush somebody. Why? Because you have power. You could also pick up the phone and go visit somebody and you could literally inspire them to change their life. Why? Because you have power. What we need to do is stop stiff-arming this idea that we don't have power and say, God, you have given me power. How may I now influence it for good? What we can't say is oh, I'm not powerful. Some of you, you're powerful in the workplace. God has given you employees. God has given you influence. Stop saying you're not powerful. You're very powerful. That's not bad to be powerful. It's bad to use your power for your own game, but God has given some of you power as a way to build the kingdom, as to build others up. So we can't say we're not powerful. You are powerful. But just like in every other area, we're called to steward what God has given us. And what we want to do is, instead of just saying we're not powerful, we want to say, God, help me to steward the power you've given me today. Proverbs 18, 21. Okay, I want, I'm going to need your help online, Lake County, Apopka. Okay, when I, when I point, I want you to fill in the blank. The tongue has the what? Power. That was good. The tongue has the power of life and death. Just quick survey. How many of y'all have a tongue? Just raise your hand everywhere, anybody? Okay. <laughs> So, if we could just do this math equation, you have a tongue, the tongue has power. Okay, you can never, ever, ever again say you don't have power. The tongue has the power of life and death. Man, you are powerful. I wish you knew how powerful you were. Jewish sage Akilah, the translator, he described this verse, this proverb, as this. He said, It's kind of like a tool. And on one side of the tool, there's a knife, and on the other side of the tool, there's a spoon. You see, on one side, it represents death, and on Another side, it represents life. And that's what God's saying. You and I, we have the power of life and death. The question is, how are you gonna use that power? There are three ways that we can use our words. You're you're gonna recognize the first two and you may not know the third one. The first one is we could use our words to speak positively, okay? We can speak positive into other people's life. The other one is to speak negatively. And you're like, what's the third one? The other one is to speak neutrally to not say anything good or bad. And some of us, we've been living neutral and we think that's godly. Listen, it's not godly to be neutral. God did not call us to be neutral. He called us to speak life. He called us to use the words and the power that he has given us to speak hope and joy and life into the lives of those around us. It's not okay that we just don't say anything negative. Well, I haven't said anything negative this week. I'm good, no, no, no. Who have you encouraged this week? Who have you given a, a positive word? Who have you affirmed this week? We all grew up in, uh, we were taught from a really young age. And if you, if you know it, I want you to, to finish the sentence. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't. Say it at all. Don't say it at all. Like, like that, we all get that, right? Now listen, here's the deal. We learned that from a young age. That was a kid version. Like it's really good, we should never abandon it. But I think as we grow up, I think we should have a more grown up phrase. I don't think we should still be living on that. If we don't have anything nice to say, just be neutral. No, that's not what we do. I think here's the more the grown-up version. If you don't have anything nice to say, then change your heart, change your mind, change your attitude, and find something good to say about the person or about the situation. So many times we're like, well, I don't have anything nice to say. I'm going to be neutral. No, no, God didn't call the believers to be neutral. He called us to see the good and evil. He called us to see the good in every bad situation and pull it out and to speak life, to speak hope and to speak joy into the people and to the situations. That's what we do. We're not neutral. A bright light in a dark world is not neutral. God didn't call us to not be dark. He said, be the light. We're called to be the light. We are called to speak life. I want to give us three practical ways. These are very, very practical ways on how to speak life to those around you. Okay. Number one, be a gold digger. Okay. (laughs) Ladies are like, Pastor Dunn said it. Listen, I'm just, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just trying to follow my pastor, you know? (laughs) Listen, don't tweet that. You need to hear the whole thing. Okay. Let me keep going. You need to be a gold digger. Here's the thing. Everybody sees the dirt in other people. Everybody sees the problem in everybody else. What Christians are called to do is to see the God-given gold that is in everybody else. You see, this is what I know about every single person. Every person you and I have conflict with, there's two things I know about them. One, God made them in his image. And two, God loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for them. The people that we have conflict, God loves. He created them on purpose and for a purpose. And here's the thing. Most of us have no clue. We forget. We have amnesia to our own goodness. And so what I'm saying is, is our job is to go in and see how God has wired them and to pull it out of them and then show them. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but you're really, really good at hospitality. You make everybody around you just feel comfortable and invited and like they're, they're your friends for 30 years. I don't know that about you. Like, I don't know if you know that about yourself. And so our job is to be a gold digger, to pull that out of them and then show them and remind them. And the more and more we do that, somebody kind of like y'all whispered earlier on Powerful, they start with, well, maybe I am hospitable. And then they hear it again. They're like, you know what? I think I am. And then the more they hear that, they step in, you know what? I am hospitable and I'm gonna use my gifts for the kingdom of God. And we're no longer whispering the God-given gold. They're stepping into it because the words we've said have set them on fire. Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I love that. Second practical thing I wanna encourage you to do is this phrase, I see in you. I see in you, simple phrase, I see in you, and then dot, 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 just fill, fill in the blanks. I see in you, and then just let them know what is it you see. And some of you are like, you have real conflict and you don't see anything positive in that person. It's at that time, that conflict with that person, you are, even if they did everything wrong, once you can't see anything good in them, you are now the one in the wrong, not them. If you can't see anything positive about somebody else, the God that made them, that means you are, you are, you are so Bent and not seeing anything good that they say, do, or are—that that that you are in an unhealthy place now. And so it's a simple prayer that I pray when I'm in that situation: God, would you help me see what you see? Help me—I don't see it right now. Like I'm hurt, I'm 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 scarred, whatever. Help me to see what you see. I know you made them in your image. Just help me to see what it is you see. I'm going to give you some examples of this idea of I see in you. This is Dallas Odell and his bride. Yeah. Dallas, I see in you as an encourager. Dallas, you encourage me every single Sunday, and he he doesn't know it, but it blesses me more than anything, and it is a massive, massive thing to the body of Christ, and I know it's not just to me. That's just who he is. He's an encourager. I see in you, Dallas, an encourager. Steve Painter, out at Lake County. We can give it up for Lake County and Steve Painter. Yeah, Steve Painter, I see in you uh, an eager servant. You're not hesitant, like you are on the edge of your seat to serve people and to serve the community. And I love that and it's it's contagious, I see that in you. Kenny Armstead, I see in you. Yeah, we can give it up for Kenny. Kenny, I see in you such a, a model and example of servant leadership, not just one or the other. You, you combine those two things so beautifully, and you are a servant leader, and I'm so grateful for that. Hannah and Jeff are husband and wife, mom and dad. They're on our worship team, and I, I mean, I don't know how they do it, and I, I just, Hannah and Jeff, I, I see in you two incredible parents, always full of joy. Um, always consistent in how you love, how you serve, and uh, just an incredible, incredible example of what it means to point kids to Jesus. And so, so grateful. That's what I see in you. That's it. This idea of I see in you, just tell them. What is it you see in them? We forget it. We wake up every day and we make withdrawals on ourselves, don't we? We're not waking up every day telling ourselves how awesome we are. We're we, we feel like failures in the workplace sometimes or as in our marriage. Like we need people to say, hey, I see in you dot, dot, dot. And here's why. Because the right word from the right person at the right time can change someone's life. Do you know that? The right word from the right person at the right time can change someone's life. But here's the deal, okay? You never know, when it's the right person. You never know when it's the right time. You never know when it's the right word. So what you and I have to do, because we don't know what's on the other side of everybody's heart, mind, and soul, is we just gotta keep giving it to them every day because we don't know when it's the right time, person, or season in their life that that word is gonna change their life for good. We just need to give it to them. This would be my encouragement. Don't be a, a, a word hoarder. You're like, man, what are you talking about? What's a word hoarder? If you have a positive thought, and you don't let it out of your mouth, you're hoarding. That's what it is, you are hoarding positivity. Do not not hoard anything that is positive. Our world needs more, not less positivity. So if God has given you a positive word, I don't care if it's something about the waitress or something about your wife, it doesn't matter anything and everything. If God has given you a positive word, don't hoard it, let it out, Give give it life, speak life to people. If you have a positive thought about anything and everything, say it. Here's what I've noticed about a lot of people, they do that with negative thoughts. Like they have no filter. They just accidentally say the negative stuff. And then I find out they actually have a lot of positive things. They just don't share it. I would say reverse it. Try to put a lid on the negativity and overshare the positivity. It's not being fake. If it's in your heart, it's not being fake. Don't hoard the goodness. Third thing, our practical thought is reverse gossip. Something I all like, What's that, Pastor? What's the reverse gossip? Well, we know what gossip is, right? Gossip is, there we go. Gossip is when we speak negatively about others privately. Okay, catch that? It's when we speak negatively about others privately, behind their back. Well, if you reverse that, reverse gossip is when we speak positively about others publicly. Talk good about people behind their back. It doesn't always need to be to their face. Let them find out that you've been reverse gossiping about them. I love that. Let them find out that you've been spreading goodness about them. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but Jim, like, he's so generous. Like the other day he just came and he helped fix something at my house and I know he didn't have time. He, like, just so generous with his time and ever like, just reverse gossip. Like, just go around and talk positively about people. Let them know if it's in you, let it out. Let people know about that. We tend to accidentally do that with the things that bother us. Let's do it with the things that we appreciate about other people. Here's one of my favorite things to do. I don't do this necessarily every week, but it's a lot of fun. I want to I encourage you to try this. Call somebody's boss and brag on them. Hey, is this Mark? Yeah. Hey, Mark, my name's Dustin. You don't know me, but your employee, Joe, he's my son's little league coach. And like, I just need you to know every single week, the way he, he loves on the kids, the way that he represents your company, he is doing an incredible work in the community. And I know that has nothing to do with the workplace, but you just need to know he's making your company look good. He's an incredible man. And my family is blessed because of it. Just something simple like that. doesn't have to be hard. When you start gossiping around people behind their back without them knowing, especially people that they look up to in their life, it's just it's just deposit after deposit after deposit Amen. and that's what we're called to do and what the world has seen too much of is the church making withdrawals and we've heard this phrase before that the church is known more for what they're against than what they're for why why are we known for that because we have spoken words of negativity so they only hear what we're against and they don't know what we're for and you know what we're for we're for people Why are we four people? Because he's four people. So much so that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross for you, for me. So here's a couple quick warnings about speaking life. Just these are really, really important. Okay, I hear this a lot. It blows my mind that I hear this as much as I do. I don't don't think I can encourage so-and-so or I don't wanna encourage you or they'll tell me, As they're encouraging me, I I can't do that because I don't want them to get a big head. Seriously, this is real. Listen, I can't think of, in this topic, a greater lie from the enemy that I've ever heard. I'm telling you, I'm around people 24-7. I rarely meet legitimate prideful people. Most of the people I talk to are overwhelmed with insecurity, fear, and anxiety. Even people that are talented and good, they still don't realize how good they are. It is not your job to be worried about somebody else's pride. That's not your job. If God gives you a word, you give them the word, he'll convict them if they're prideful. Let God convict them. And here's what I'll tell you, a little secret to make sure you're never going to run into this problem again. I don't actually think there's really prideful people because any prideful person I've ever met, they're actually insecure, but pride is the way they express their insecurity. Do you realize that? The way that some people express their insecurity is through pride, which means everybody's insecure. None of us are getting big heads. You cannot over encourage people enough. Stop with the lie. They're just going to get a big head. I've never heard somebody say, man, I'm just tired of all the encouragement. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> My wife just won't stop saying all these good things about me. <laughs> good night. Mary, the wrong person. Seriously, stop saying that. Stop thinking that. Don't worry about somebody else's pride. And then the second thing I need you to do, the other caution is this. When somebody gives you an encouraging word, when somebody says, I see in you, you know what I see a lot of people do? They stiff arm it. Hey, hey, we'll go to somebody's house. And I'm like, hey, Nancy, you're such a great host. Like, man, this food, everything looks so great. Oh, you kidding me? I just got that at Sam. Don't worry about it. They're stiff arming me. And we stiff-arm people because we don't know how to receive encouragement. Let me tell you what happens when you do that. It's so dangerous. When you stiff-arm the encouragers in your life, you know what you only have left? The discouragers. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people stiff-arm encouragement only for a year or two later, they burn out. And I'm talking to my I know you burned out. You have literally stiff-armed every person in your life that has spoken life to you. And you are only listening to the negativity, to discouragement. Well, what are you talking about? How do I do that? Like, I'll be in the middle of saying thank you for something, and some of you will interrupt me. Hey, you're so good at it. And then you start talking about the weather, because you can't handle a compliment. And I'm telling you, your soul needs to hear somebody else tell you how good you are about things. Your heart and your mind needs to learn how to receive somebody when they say, hey, I see in you, you are such an uplifter. You're such a servant. You're such whatever it is. You need to let them say it. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying you need to depend on it, and I'm not saying you need to fish for it. I'm just saying don't reject it. Do not reject it. Here's the other thing that we need to understand, that the gift of encouragement is actually a spiritual gift. God has given some of you the gift of encouragement, like the spiritual gift. We're all called to encourage, but some of you, it's a supernatural ability. And when you stiff arm somebody, you don't know if you're stiff arming somebody's spiritual gift. And that would be a shame. Do not stiff arm somebody's spiritual gift. Just just let them do it. And here's what you do. When somebody says, because I understand, I see people squirm all the time. They don't know how to do this. Very practical. When somebody says something good about you, this is what you do. You stop what you're doing don't keep walking, don't keep doing something in the kitchen. Stop what you're doing. You look them in the eye and you say, thank you. Hey, thank you. That meant, a, and then just be honest, that meant a lot to me. And let your heart, mind, and soul receive it for a minute. You don't have to have three paragraphs. You don't have to have like a, a story. You don't have to have a script. Just say thank you. I remember I heard a story about this young preacher. He, he preached, and this older lady came up to him after the service and said, hey, that was a great message. And he, he didn't know how to accept a compliment. So he's like, we've seen people do this. It's all God. It's all God. All God. And she said, well, I didn't say it was that good. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to learn how to accept. Hey, church, when you and I speak life this holiday season, when we make deposits instead of just taking withdrawals, it will begin to change relationships. I think it will begin to change dining room tables. And my prayer is that it would redeem and revive the holidays this season. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that speaks life. There's there's so much shame and guilt you can give us, but yet you speak words of life to us. You, you speak redemption and resurrection and reviving things that we thought were once dead. God, would you help us? We know naturally when we wake up, we can make withdrawals or we could be negative. What we need is we need your help supernaturally to wake up and make deposits. And then would you help us to make the habit of making deposits? And that God, you would help us to speak life that we wouldn't be a a word hoarder, but give us eyes to see when we can give an encouraging word, and then help us to receive when somebody does speak an encouraging word. What a gift, what a bright light the church is when we speak life. God, would you help us to speak life? We're grateful for you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.